I've seen the first day known to man held in the hands of God. I've seen history kiss the future and presented today to us as he cried. I've seen the death of a panther, black fighting for his pride. I've seen the separation of wholeness with a people not knowing why. I've seen African children lose limbs in search of diamonds and pearls. I've seen those same African limbs around the necks of American girls. I've seen million dollar dreams in the hands of the poor. I've seen those same dreams in America run into brick walls. I've seen life plant herself in the faces of many with struggle as her borders. I've seen oppression in the earth born by her sons and her daughters. I've seen poverty and despair where children couldn't afford water. I've seen destiny salute the sun just before walking across the skyline, seeding purpose into all that is while serving God, fruit and water. I've seen the sun at birth dancing on the back of the Africans until it switch shifts with the moon. I've seen oceans engulf the Himalayas and swallow millions of bodies whole. I've seen eagles paint murals on heaven's sidewalk in hopes of pollutionless skies. I've seen many men who were so in love with freedom that if they couldn't have it, they would rather die. I've seen the coast of Guinea in the bays of South Africa raped of their ivory gold spices in her precious stones. I've seen the angels of death take nations home. I've seen masters of ships get lost at sea seeking a new world. I've seen Columbus report to his superiors saying he saw Negroes in a new land. It was then that the natives told him that the things he sought were the creations of those built by the African. I've seen fruit as strange as day on horseback, swinging whips at God's creation. I've seen merchants abuse the Nile as she cried for the natives. I've seen a man crucified for the ways of the world. I've seen children of the sun baptized in capitalism and lose their shine. I've seen those same children in their own land establish laws with their third eye only to be stolen and made blind. I've seen a cargo of slaves from the Igbo tribe on the west side of the island. I've seen many cry and I heard them speak. We would rather die than to live in captivity. That's when the tribe leader said, it was water that brought us here and it shall take us away. That's when they marched into the deep blue in search of a better place. See, I've seen faces of all kinds grin with guilt as grandma's hands told our life stories on quilts. I've seen Sambo dancing on a president's lawn while chanting reparations to the sound of chicken noodle soup with slaves on the side. All the while, they were dying on the inside. See, I've seen Garvey stand a million strong and years after him, I saw Malcolm come along. I've seen a nation build pyramids without touching a single stone. I've seen these things as time moved on. I've seen the souls of black folk on ice on their way up from slavery 
from the north to the south back in a day when we were blind to many facts have seen blackface on all faces one time or another while on broadway i've seen the birth of negro spirituals make its way to hip-hop to the light of day i've seen art murdered by men only to resurrect itself within centuries of man i've seen cherry oak trees on the backs of blacks better known as the african i've seen a perfect smile grow from tears in a lifetime of strain i've seen the amistad under the sunset of ck's pain and harriet in the swamps as they boarded that train. I've seen Marshall Major Taylor ride the race of his life as Jack Johnson fought for his. I've seen parents take their own lives in honor of their kids. I've seen the lynchings and the picnics by those who had a hard time accepting their position, each day lying in the faces of their own children, teaching them that it was us against them. I've seen self-hatred run rampant. And as a solution, I've seen Dr. Fred Palmer's work alongside Golden Peacock and Marvello's Cream in a process of acquiring the American dream. This is just a preview of my walk. Now tell me, yes, you who's listening, tell me, what have you seen? Peace, love, and power, beautiful people. This is the good brother coming straight to you from the center itself, from the eye power center, the intuitive point in which everything resides. And today's principle is, tell me what have you seen? That's right. Tell me what have you seen? What have you seen in your lifetime? What stories have you heard that painted pictures of places that you've never been to physically, but been to in your mind, in your heart, and in your spirit? Once again, today's principle is tell me what have you seen and I'll be sharing uh, a dynamic story with you entitled I've Seen the Promised Land, the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. uh, by Coretta Scott King Award winner Walter Dean Myers, illustrated by Leonard Jenkins. And I'm excited to share this book with you today. Uh, Once again, I want you all to just focus on being able to share your story and tell others what you've seen. Because you, 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 you may have seen something that is beneficial to somebody else in terms of their journey, their life's journey, and where they're headed. So, again, don't be afraid to share your story. Thank you all for being with us another Wednesday. Until next light, meet us here every Wednesday. Give thanks. Be blessed. I've seen the promised land, the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., written by Walter D. Myers. Book begins March 1968. The country was torn by turmoil. There were protests against racial injustice. On college campuses, young men and women were opposing the long war in Vietnam. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., looked at a small mountain of mail on his secretary's desk. 
He knew there would be requests for him to speak at schools and churches from people who loved and respected him. There would also be ugly letters full of threats and hatred. Dr. King had been invited to Memphis, Tennessee, where sanitation workers were on strike. He was tired, but he felt he had to offer his support. Dr. King could not enjoy his own good fortune, even though he worked hard for it, as long as there was poverty anywhere in the world. Martin Luther King Jr. was born in Atlanta, Georgia on January 15, 1929. His father was one of the most respected ministers in Atlanta, but Atlanta was a part of the segregated South, and young Martin had to put up with the pain of being judged by the color of his skin. He worked hard in school and became a minister. He was eager to spread the word of God's love for all people. Then on December 1st, 1955, an event occurred in Montgomery, Alabama, that would make many demands on him, but also give him the opportunity to seek justice for all Americans. The laws in Montgomery said that whites would sit in the front of the buses and blacks in the rear. If all the front seats were taken, then any blacks who had seats would have to give them up. One evening, a woman named Rosa Parks, returning home after a hard day's work, refused to give up her seat. She was arrested for breaking the law. In response to Mrs. Parks' arrest, the black people of Montgomery planned to boycott the city buses. They said they would not pay money to ride buses if they had to give up their seats just because they were not white people. At the time, Dr. King was the pastor of, of the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery. People were so impressed with the young minister that they asked him to lead the boycott. Dr. King knew that leading a boycott would be difficult and perhaps even dangerous. But he believed that individuals had the responsibility of making democracy work. There were groups that would do anything to stop black people from being treated as equals. Local police arrested Dr. King just to harass him and a firebomb was thrown onto the porch of his house. This evil act frightened the young minister, but it didn't break him and he didn't back down. He believed so strongly in the cause of justice that he had to do what was right, even if his life was at risk. His wife, Coretta Scott King, had a small baby to care for, but she supported her husband's decisions. The boycott lasted over a year. Finally, in June 1956, the District Court of the United States ruled that laws separating whites and blacks on the Montgomery buses were unconstitutional. This ruling was later affirmed by the Supreme Court. Finally, the buses in Montgomery was integrated. Blacks and whites, supported by the law, would ride together in peace. The Montgomery bus boycott was one of the most important events in the civil rights movement. It showed that people could make changes in a system that had lasted for decades if they had the right leadership. Martin Luther King Jr., recognized as that kind of leader, was arrested again and again and again as he protested the laws and practices that hurt his people. The arrest did not stop his activity or his determination. Being in prison was hard, but it was a difficulty that Dr. King gladly accepted because he knew what he was doing was right. In 1959, Dr. King spent a month in India studying 
the techniques of nonviolent protest practice by the great Indian leader, Mohatis Gandhi. Dr. King had studied Gandhi's life and had taken his philosophy of nonviolence into his own heart. Many blacks were disappointed with Dr. King's belief in nonviolence and love for all people. Some argued that blacks didn't need people to love. They needed justice. In the South, black protests and attempted at integration were met with beatings and jellings. It was clear that those who opposed equal rights for blacks did not mind using violence. While Dr. King spoke throughout the United States of nonviolence, there were others with different ideas. One of them was a man known as Malcolm X. Who ever heard of a nonviolent revolution? Malcolm X asked. But Dr. King knew that people would come to understand and respect one another only through love, not force. The movement for justice, for bringing all people together, took many forms. In the South, Dr. King led nonviolent marches. He insisted that those who worked with him practice nonviolence, even though he acknowledged that it was not always an easy path to follow. Sometimes in northern cities, young people exploded with anger. Dr. King understood these uh, their impatience, but did not think that violence could ever turn back the winds of hatred. By 1963, the voices of those who are against nonviolence grew louder. President John F. Kennedy seemed sympathetic to the black cause, but blacks across the country were becoming discouraged as the hostility against them increased. Night after night, news broadcasts carried stories of people being beaten, assaulted with fire hoses, and bitten by dogs as they stood up for equality. Dr. King refused to be drawn into the hatred that was directed against him. He insisted on loving his enemy and conducting the struggle of black America on the high plane of dignity and discipline. On September the 15th, 1963, less than a month after the March on Washington, a bomb blast shattered the early morning stillness in Birmingham, Alabama. When the smoke cleared, four black girls lay dead in the rubble of the 16th Street Baptist Church. It was the kind of brutality against which Dr. King had always spoken. The country mourned as Dr. King declared that the four girls had not died in vain. Tears were shed as he called them heroines and the struggle for freedom and human dignity. But for many, the forces of evil seemed to have the upper hand. Then, in November 1963, the President of the United States, John F. Kennedy, was assassinated. Violence seemed to rule the country. Over the next few years, Dr. King watched in sorrow as anger roared through the streets of our nation's cities. In 1965, Malcolm X became another victim of violence, brutally murdered as he spoke to those he hoped to help. Dr. King understood that it sometimes seemed right to tear down a society that simply would not listen to the reason of justice. 
but he knew that one day justice will win out over evil. In the spring of 1968, Dr. King had been asked to support the striking sanitation workers in Memphis. Just days before his arrival, there were signs that promised peaceful protests would be hard to control. Dr. King was discouraged, but he put aside his feelings. He thought that if he put himself before the people, they would remain calm. Huh. On March 28th, Dr. King led a march through downtown Memphis. The anger that the sanitation workers felt boiled over into the streets. The results was, for Dr. King, a disaster. One young man was killed and 50 others were injured. Dr. King, yeah, Dr. King, he wondered if his message had fallen on deaf ears. The next evening on April the 4th, Dr. King stood on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel. Suddenly, a shot rang out. Dr. King fell backwards. The man who preached nonviolence had been murdered, had been murdered, had been murdered. Dr. King knew that there would be a day when he would die and he knew he might die a violent death, yet Dr. King's legacy lived with us all. His examples stand as glowing lights for us all to follow. And it is to the mountaintop of ideals and of hope for justice that we look to find his image still. Dr. King wanted to be remembered simply as someone who had tried to do his best and to serve all people regardless of race. He wanted to be remembered as someone who believed in love, who believed in peace. He wanted to be remembered as someone who did not turn away from those who were hungry or those in prison. And so we remember him as a man a leader, and as a father. We look to him as a man who tried to keep our country on the righteous path to freedom and equality. Bookends. Oh, man. Sometimes it's hard remembering, right? We understand how to remember, but the process can be difficult when we are thinking about the people we've lost simply because we wanted to be treated like human or we desire to be treated like humans. It's hard. It's hard reading the story of King. It's hard. It's hard reading the story of Brother Malcolm, Malik El Hajbash. It's hard reading the stories of Fannie Lou Hamer, Ella Baker. It's hard reading the stories of the Nat Turners. It's hard 
reading these stories. Marcus Garvey, it's hard. Why? Because going back through the memory, we are reminded that we are not far from those days. This wasn't 500 years ago. This wasn't 400 years ago. We are reminded in the climate of individuals chanting Black Lives Matter, chanting Black Lives Matter, chanting I'm Black and I'm Proud, chanting Stop Police Brutality, chanting the same things that those who died and those who were assassinated, murdered, taken out intentionally for spreading the message of love. Of love. You have to be some kind of evil to want to kill a man or a woman who speaks love. Who speaks love. It's hard reading the story of Bob Marley, Sam Cooke. It's hard reading these stories. It's hard. It's hard. But we shall remember. And we shall continue to do the hard thing. Because we know the hard thing that got them to where they were. It's just a continuum of what we are doing. And that is us reading the hard stories and passing them down to our children so that they will have the memory of what to do hard so that someday somebody somewhere who look like you and I won't have it so hard. So I ask you, what have you seen?